Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Lord, we love you. Lord, we come to adore you. We come in your presence to adore you. We're hungry for you. We're thirsty for you. You can adore him in your living room. You can adore him in your bedroom. You can adore him in the kitchen. Come to adore him. There's none like him. There's none beside him. We think of Come Let Us Adore Him as a traditional Christmas song. But we don't adore him according to the calendar. We adore him according to the hunger that is in our heart. Oh, come, let us adore him today. Lord, we come in your presence just to adore you, to worship you, to be where you are. God, I pray today that you would hide your manservant behind the cross. Teach me the more how to decrease so that you can increase. Open the eyes of your servant and your people that we might behold wondrous things coming out of your word. But God, most of all, cause us to sense your glory. Let your presence fill the room, fill this house. Lord, take a seat. Take a seat and stay with us today. We just want to be where you are. We want to be with you. We long for you. We long for your doxa. We long for your glory. We long for your kabod. Oh, God, let your glory fill this room and fill every heart, fill every house. Because in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And on your right hand, pleasures forevermore. God, you can beat back depression. God, that spirit that's anxious in your presence, anxiety has to go. God, we bind everything that comes to oppress your people. In the name of Jesus, we speak liberty now. We say, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Release a word. Release a word, oh God, that will unshackle your people. In the name of Jesus, help us to discern the times. Help us to see what you're doing. You're working. You're shaking heaven and earth. But God, you're stirring a remnant. And we say, do it again. Do it again. Do for this generation what you've done for generations before. Bless us now and make us a blessing. In Jesus' name. And somebody say amen. Amen. I come before you today with a message that is not traditional. I bless God for the worship team, for the young people, for the emerging generation who praise God. Hosanna in the highest. Bishop Granham, I know it warms your heart to see the young people worshiping God. Sir, I want you to know it also warms my heart. And so we've talked about the entry of the Lord into Jerusalem. The Spirit of God has me before you today to talk about the re-entry 
into the house of God everywhere. And so it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, and it seemed good to me to speak this word in your hearing. I promise not to offend anyone next week. Resurrection Sunday will be about the resurrection. But sometimes God comes to disrupt our regularly scheduled program so that we listen to him more than we listen to the calendar. This is not about days. It's about discerning the time. Jesus made it clear that discerning the time was times was important. He spoke to the religious people of his day and called them hypocrites. He said, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the times. When I left home this morning, it hadn't started raining yet, but I knew it was going to rain because of the thick overcast. And it started to rain five minutes as I was driving to the sanctuary. So it is, just as we've learned the patterns, the weather patterns, God wants his people to know his patterns, how he works. As I said last week, discernment is not mystical. It's about observing the way God works and you know when things are gonna happen. And so I pray that God will illuminate that today for me and for you. Jesus also in his generation stood upon the mountain of Jerusalem and he wept over them. And he said, how, how much would I have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't allow me because you didn't understand the time of your visitation. He wants us to understand in this generation, the time of our visitation and what it is we must do. We're going to turn to Second Chronicles, the fifth chapter, read verses 1 through 14. Somebody talk to me in the chat and say, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. The word reads, so all the work that Solomon had done, for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers, of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle, the priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests 
brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the poles. The post extended so that the ends of the poles of the Ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside except the Lord's tablets. And they were, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put here, put there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they had come out of Egypt, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers and those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen, having cymbals, string instruments, and harps, and with 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, with the trumpeters and cymbals and instruments of music and praise the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house. Do it again. Building the temple. It took him seven years. All the work was done. And he realized he was a young king, very young. He had been elevated from prince to king. His father David had not long died and he, he realized the burden of following a king like his father who was a man after God's own heart, who never lost a battle in his lifetime. And because of that, Solomon never had to fight a battle. He reigned for 40 years of peace. And I, I want to speak to every father. I pray that you would fight battles well so that your children would have peace in their days. David did something else that we ought to learn. He stored up treasures. The treasures he stored up, for him, in his life, in his generation, were treasures stored in heaven. His son got it and stored them in the house of God. But Solomon realized that there was something missing. The house is here, but the presence of God is not in the house. And so he went, he sent to Zion, the city of David, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and said, we got to go get the presence of God back. Some of you recall the story of Eli the priest, who under his reign, 
the glory of God left Israel, Ichabod, because he did not correct his sons and he allowed the priesthood to run amok and all kind of vile things were happening in the house of God. And so the Philistines, the enemies of God, took the ark and the presence of God was, was gone. David recaptured it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Solomon now, recognizing that in his youth, he can't lead the people of God. I want you to notice something. Solomon had not yet prayed. He had not yet prayed. In 2 Chronicles 6, he prays, and God answers by fire. And that's when Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave him more than that. In the seventh chapter of 2 Chronicles, God talks about his people and what he would do when the people sin. So now the presence of God is coming back, and Solomon had the wisdom before he asked God for wisdom to get all the elders together, all the chief fathers, get all the priests and the Levites together, and to have them sanctify themselves. They were preparing for the presence of God. They knew that they couldn't go in front of God the way they were, even though they were priests and Levites. They realized that a holy God, in order for me to enter into his presence, especially if I've got to go into the holy of holy places, i got to get myself prepared to meet the king. And so they sanctified themselves. Their focus was 100% on God. They got rid of the pomp and circumstance. They got rid of all the stuff. You heard in the text that the priests didn't follow their divisions. There was order to how they did things, but they sensed that this is different. If God is going to be coming back to this place, to this house that we built in his name, we've got to prepare. Our focus needs to be only on God. God is saying to the church that we're entering into a season where our focus needs to be only on him. Lay the programming aside. Lay all this stuff aside just for a season. Let's focus on God because when we do that, he shows up and the, cloud, the glory cloud comes. When Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness, the cloud never left the people. And the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place, but for God it was a permanent place because the mercy seat was in there. The shoe bread was in there. You see, in this text, the Bible says the only thing that was in there was the word of God. The tablets that Moses had brought from Horeb there are three strands, theologically, in broad strokes, in Christendom today. One are the cessationists, who say there are no works of the Spirit, it's only the Word of God. Everything is the Word of God. It begins and ends with the Word of God. And then you have those in the charismatic movement that says it's all about the Spirit, the Spirit of God, there are gifts today. It wasn't just for the acts of the apostle. The Spirit of God is moving and everything begins and ends with the Spirit. And then those, there are those, the third strand, are those whose focus is community. They say the early church had all things in common. It's the Anabaptist tradition, community. But I want to declare unto you the whole counsel of God that the word of God is necessary, it's right, 
The Spirit of God is moving. In fact, it's the Spirit that leads the church. Christ is the head of the church, but the Bible says that the Spirit has come to lead and guide us into all truth. I hear Paul say in another place, those that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons and daughters of God. So there's leadership in the house, and it has nothing to do with flesh. It's the Spirit of God. So we believe the Word is authoritative. It's immutable. It is inspired by God for righteousness, for rebuke, to teach us how to live. But the Spirit of God is moving. It's moving. The Spirit is brooding. And we also believe in community. That is the whole counsel of God. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. And when you see God starting to bring all those strands together, people who are cessationists, beginning to move in the prophetic, people who are, who are charismatic, realizing that the word of God is the last revelation, that I've got to be rooted and grounded in the word. It's not all about mysticism. It's not all about all the things that are gifts of the spirit alone, because if you go too far, you move into witchcraft. If you go too far, on one end. If you go too far on the other, you're a dead church. Dead church, witchcraft. The whole counsel of God puts you in a place where you are positioned for the Spirit of God, where you can enter into the holy place, that place that you can't see from the outsider. The outsiders have no view. The Bible says in the holy, you can go to the holy place and see into the holy of holies. Some of you are in a good place. You're in the holy place. But God wants you to enter into the holy of holies where the cherubims are spread, their wings are spread. Enter into the secret place of the Most High so you can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God is saying, I'm coming to stir you up, to cause you to enter in. Prepare to enter into the holy of holies. And for those of you who are outside, God is saying, you're going to be awakened out of sleep. What is it going to take for this world to respond to the voice of God when God is shaking heaven and earth, shaking heaven by having destruction with tornadoes and earthquakes, not just in America, but around the world, a pandemic that's global, and yet you have world leaders looking at nuclear proliferation, looking at power grabs, still doing things, but God is doing something in our generation. I want to encourage you. I know how it looks. I know how it sounds from the news, but God is doing something. He's gathering his people, and he is going to invade us with his presence. His people who are hungry, his people who are thirsty, his people who are ready to bow down and adore him and worship the true and living God are going to usher in a time where there's going to be the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God and a harvest. There are times when we conflate revival with an awakening. God wants to make this clear to us. A revival is for the people of God. It's for the church. It is why David in Psalms 85 said, Lord, will you not revive us again? that your people might rejoice in you. 
And that's why God said in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. There's a time of repentance and of seeking the face of God for the people of God that revival comes. Revival is for the people of God so that the life of God, so that the life of the church can be restored and renewed afresh. And awakening are for the people who are asleep, who are outside, who haven't entered into the holy place or the holy of holy, where people come to Jesus in mass. Now, does that mean that there are some in the church who are not sleeping? No, because the Bible says that it's high time for us to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. By and large, it's for the unbeliever. But God said to me that a sleeping Christian is like you taking a nap. Say more, Lord. You take a nap in the light of the noonday. It's, it's day, you're in the light, but you still go to sleep. But it's only a nap. And you wake up out of sleep. That's the lot of the believer. There's some believers who are asleep, but it's not because they're in darkness. They're asleep in the light. And God is saying, wake up. It's time for you to wake out of sleep because now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. The wise virgins and the foolish virgins both had lamps. Their vessels were similar. They had oil, but they weren't all trimmed and they didn't keep the oil in them. And Jesus was warning believers that you got to stay ready. You got to be ready because when the bridegroom comes, there's no time to get ready. So you need to be ready so when he comes, you can go with him. Five were wise. Five were foolish. May we all be wise and keep our lamps trimmed and burning because when the revival comes, an awakening follows because the world looks at us and says, that's God. That's God. I want that God. They see us loving in such a way that the words of the Lord come to pass. By this, all shall know that you are my disciples because you love one another. That's why the devil is working on division. That's why the devil is trying to get us to bite and devour because he knows that God is about to release something. He's working on the cities, inner cities. It, it's not all social, it's spiritual because the devil knows that creation started in the garden and it's going to end in the city. And when the city of God comes down, it's all over for him. But the people of God need to usher that in. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Come, King Jesus. It doesn't take much when we seek his face, all they did, the priests and the Levites, were to say he's good, his mercy endures forever, and the glory cloud fell. The, the trumpet, the Hebrew trumpet is the shofar. So you have 120 priests 
blowing the shofar. You have all the, the, the choir and worship team worshiping. And here's the thing. With all of that, they said one sound, one voice. There's going to be such a unity in the body of Christ across denominations, across races, one voice. When that happens, get ready for the glory, the glory cloud. When that happens, get ready for God to come and do a work that has never been seen in any generation. We need to know the times. Solomon, before he prayed, had an experience with the glory of God, which means what is required more than prayer Prayer is necessary, but more than prayer is seeking God with our whole heart. And we know they did it wholeheartedly because they put everything else aside. Everything else was put aside. It didn't matter what your title was. They brought the whole congregation together. They got the leadership right first, and then the Bible says they brought the whole congregation together. But in that tabernacle, there was no shoe, shoe bread and there was no mercy seat which existed in the tabernacle of David and the, the miracle of the shoe bread which is in the holy of holies on a table is that it was in open air and it never went stale. It never went stale. I want to say to everyone who are carriers of the anointing to teach or preach the word of God. When you do as God says do, because the shoe bread required certain ingredients, instructions that came from God to Moses, and it was given to all those who ministered to the Lord. If you follow God and not other things that could get in the way and distract you, your word will never be stale because the word of God is fresh every day. It is like manna, but the shoe bread, unlike manna, could be in open air for any length of time and it was still good. Manna is just our daily bread. If you don't consume it that day, it stinketh. But God is saying he's looking for those who would handle the word of God in, in such a way that it never goes stale. And that happens when you allow the leadership of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, to take his place. So because there was no mercy seat, Solomon went on, had 40 years of peace, but he never had this experience again. Never. This was the best day of his, his kingdom. He did good, but he didn't sustain it. God wants to show us how to sustain it. Let's look at 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. To go back historically, and look at how his father David did it. And we can learn from some of David's mistakes so that we in our generation don't make them. David was a man after God's own heart. He never lost a battle. He depended on God for everything. He wasn't perfect, but his heart was perfect towards God. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 through 15 reads, And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, 
that he sanctified, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now this is when David recovers the ark of the covenant from the Philistines. They had taken it away under Eli. The glory of God had left. But when David originally went to get it, this is, the, this is kind of his second attempt. He, he had the ark, the ark carted, and there was a, a situation that made David very afraid. He was angry with God, and he was also had an unhealthy fear of the Lord. It wasn't because God had done anything wrong. David had done something wrong. The ark was to be carried, not carted. They put it on a cart and allowed oxen to carry it. God is saying, don't take any shortcuts. It might seem easier, but when you take a shortcut, you first of all, you're not going to see my glory. You're not going to have my presence. But something is going to happen, and it's going to be an outbreak that you don't like. It caused David, a man after God's own heart, to be angry with God. There was a man named Uzzah who was following the ark and the, the beast of burden, the oxen, stumbled and he wanted to catch the ark. And God was angry and broke out and struck him dead. David is thinking, I'm trying to get your presence, but David, you're doing it the wrong way. You're going about it the wrong way. You're going about it your way. God said that the ark is not to be carted, it's to be carried. We're carriers of the glory. We're carriers of the anointing. When we abuse that, we, we no longer have place to it. And so David did something. He sent the ark to the house of a man named Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom was a Gittite. The origin of Gittite is Philistine. The Philistines were enemies of God. And David found out that the glory God was blessing the house of Obed-Edom. I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you call yourself. If God's presence is there, a blessing comes. We need to understand what it really means to seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all these things will be added. God added a blessing to the house of Obed-Edom, who they saw as vile, who they saw as a heathen. But God's presence caused a blessing. And now we pick up the story with David now going back this time, and they're carrying it. They're doing it God's way. David is saying, Lord, I learned my lesson. I'm ready to do it your way. Is there anybody ready to do it God's way? We've tried carrying it. Our way, God is saying, you do it my way and I'll show up. I'll show up even for those who you call heathen. I'll show up for those who today are your enemy. You'll see that my blessing is upon them. So David now does something that's interesting. I don't want you to miss this. Every six paces, one, two, three, four, 
five, six, he stops and he offers bulls and the fatted sheep. Those are offerings of adoration and for forgiveness. Every six paces, six is the number of man. See, that's a pattern. You want to know how God works. On the sixth day, he created man. That's how we know six is the number of man. David is saying, Lord, I still dwell in this tent of flesh. I'm bringing back the tabernacle in your house. But God, every six steps, stop and ask for forgiveness, ask for mercy. He remembered what happened before. Then he remembered what happened with Obed-Edom. He said, this time... God, I'm going to do it right. This time, I'm going to do it right. And every six steps, I wonder what David was asking for forgiveness for. If the church in 2021 in Zimbabwe or in Philadelphia or in the Philippines were were carrying the glory of God, what would we have to repent for every six steps? Somebody in the chat room, talk about it. I'm sure David was saying, God, take away selfish pride, the next six steps. God, take away those things that separate me from you. Satisfy my mouth with good things. God, help me to humble myself and just to adore you. God, deliver me from seeking your hand and show me how to seek your face. God, take away bitterness. Forgive us. We're in the flesh. Take away the root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many. God, help us. No more gossip. Let it never be named in your house. Purify us. God, perfect those things that concern us. Lead us in the way of everlasting. Every six steps, he called out to God. And six is the number of man. Let's go a little bit deeper. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of of the Lord of hosts. There's just one thing I want to point out here. David, after realizing his misstep, this time is so grateful for the presence of God being restored that he blessed the people. God, take us to a place in you where we bless the people, where we're not just consumers wanting to consume it for our own personal holiness or for our own self and seeking blessing just for us. God, show us how to bless the people. Because when, you bless, when we bless the people, you bless all the people, including us. Help us to esteem others more highly than we esteem ourselves. This is a picture of what it's like when God is in the midst of his people. David blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Now, there were three tabernacles in Scripture that were built. First one, the tabernacle of Moses. 
where God gave him all of the, the outlines and everything to the, the finest, most minute detail. The next was the tabernacle of Solomon. Solomon built the house, but he brought a tabernacle and he put all the things in there. As I said, he didn't have the mercy seat. He didn't have the shoe bread, but he had the word of God and the, and the, the cherubim's wings for the, signifying the presence of God. And then there's the tabernacle of David. And I want to speak to somebody now who feels that your past has disqualified you from the glory of God, from the best that God has to offer. God said to David, you can't build me a house. Your son can build it because your hands are too bloody. Too much blood on your hands. You can't. David desired to build the house. He went to God and said, he told the prophet, I want to build God a house. I want to spend the rest of my life honoring him by building him a house. And God said, no, you can't do it, but your son will do it. Solomon's tabernacle was erected and then it was torn down. But watch what God does for David. And this is a message for all of us. In Acts 15, verses 16 and 17, here's what the word of the Lord said. After this, I will return. Do it again. This is the Lord himself speaking. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Can you imagine God is saying, I'm going to rebuild it myself. I'm not going to give this design to anybody. I am going to rebuild the tabernacle of David myself, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Here's why this is significant. He didn't rebuild the tabernacle of Moses, and the Bible says that Moses was faithful over his, old, his whole house. He didn't rebuild the tabernacle of Solomon, but he rebuilt himself the tabernacle of David. And the purpose is so that he can be the God of everyone. Israel in the days of Moses and in the days of Solomon and even in the days of David saw him as a national God. They had a nationalistic theology. He was the God of Israel and nobody else. Everyone else was the enemy, but God is saying, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David so that all of mankind, all of humanity can come and seek my face. The Gentiles, just as the Jews, are going to be able to come in. He said, I'm going to do it myself, but why did he rebuild the tabernacle of David and not the tabernacle of Moses? That was the original one because of a covenant that he made with, with David. I want you to know that as covenant people, God will never throw us away. He remembers his covenant. And he says, this time, this tabernacle of David that I rebuild is going to stand for all time. I want you to know we're living in a time where the tabernacle of David is being rebuilt. God is calling people from everywhere, different denominations, different races. I know it looks bad when you look on the surface, but God is doing something beneath the surface. There are people of all stripes who are speaking with one voice, who are agreeing in the spirit, who are seeing things that they've never 
seen before. In the city of Philadelphia, we pray every day, multiple churches under the covering. And the covering is a picture of the wings of the cherubim with a cross in the middle, Jesus connecting us to the holy of holies. And every day we pray, we've partnered with the tabernacle of David to do that. The Philadelphia tabernacle of David. There's something prophetic about that. There, there, is, there are things that some people write off as coincidence. Yesterday, I officiated a wedding at a, a, a church of a dear friend, CCC, in West Philadelphia, beautiful, beautiful edifice. And after the ceremony, I went outside. They asked, the family asked me to take pictures. And the, the young photographer uh, was close enough. We were up the stairs. She was down to hear our conversation. I said, wow, isn't it something that God has coordinated us? Even though we didn't talk, we had to do the rehearsal via Zoom. I had no idea what you were wearing. I, that detail wasn't important. But the robe that I'm wearing perfectly complements what the bride and groom is wearing. And she heard that. And she said, wow, what a marvelous coincidence. And I said to her, it's not a coincidence. God is real. Just planting a seed. Two minutes later, she said, you know something you said in there when you were talking about intimacy into me, see? She said, I was thinking, my aunt wrote a song called Into Me, See. And I heard the words of the song as you were speaking. I said, I promise you, young lady, I've never heard your wife's song. And she said, I know. And I could see by the countenance on her face that she was saying there's too many coincidences. Maybe this God is real. When an awakening comes, we won't have to plant. We won't have to water. It will only be increased. They will know that God is real. You don't have to tell them that God is real. They will know for themselves because they'll see it all over us. Lord, do it again. Do it again. When you see God starting to bring people together of different stripes, you know that he's about to do it again. There was a little house on North Bonnie Bray Street in L.A. where a man named William, William Seymour, who had no place to go, he had been kicked out of the church. He couldn't worship with his white brothers and sisters in the same room. He had to sit outside and listen. He was essentially homeless. He went to a friend's house and said, can I stay here for a few days? And he began to pray and to fast. And he went to the book of Acts chapter 2. And he would teach it every day. And one day, he started to teach it. And the pianist was slain in the spirit, started speaking with tongues and angles, angels and the spirit of God started to move and people started to come from everywhere and one day the porch collapsed under the weight and they moved to a little place on Azusa Street. Now it wasn't because they were seeking anything except the fullness of God for themselves but what I want to declare unto you is it wasn't just William Seymour. There were people from all denominations, all races, all creeds, all stripes, all ages who God brought together and that's what he poured his spirit out upon. 
despite all the hatred, all the hardening of the heart, I, as I was meditating on this word, I said, God, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for people to stop and listen to what you're saying? And I heard the Spirit say, could it be that God is hardening hearts as he did in the days of Egypt? Egypt is a type of the world. One plague didn't change Pharaoh's heart. Two plagues didn't do it. Five didn't do it. Nine didn't do it. It took 10 plagues. And I'm saying, God, don't let it get to that. Do it again. Do it again. Begin to gather your people together. The remnant who seeks your glory, the remnant who wants you for their sake, for the sake of the remnant, do what you did in that little house and in that little church. God, you can do it. And from that meeting, from them getting together to 2020, 600 million disciples have been made. That means over the last 100 years, every year, 6 million people from that same presence were brought in. God wants us to do something that's generational, just as David passed on to Solomon. God is saying he's giving this generation an opportunity to do something, working with him. He wants to rush through. He wants to break forth. He just wants his people to pause and bow down before him and create a space for him to dwell, and he will dwell. He said, I myself will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'm going to do it, and this time it's not going to be torn down because it's going to be a building not made with hands. It's in ruins, but I'm going to rebuild it. I sense God rebuilding that tabernacle. I sense him doing it in our generation. I sense him doing it in our time. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a revival that's followed by an awakening. Get ready. Get ready. Position yourself. Be like the priest and get ready. It's not going to take much. It's not going to take much human effort because it's the Spirit of God. It's human effort that blocks it. God is going to bring us to a place where we surrender all to him. Somebody say, do it again. Light up the chat room. Do it again. A humble man, a meek man who didn't consider himself a preacher, who, didn't, who rarely spoke, who just sat in a corner in Azusa Street, on a box, my God, and barely said a word. And when people would come from out of town and speak, when they got in the flesh, he would get up and very meekly, very politely say, brother, you're in the flesh, sit down. They didn't allow anything to disrupt the glory of God that was in that place. The glory filled the place so much that a man came in who was a reporter. His name was Frank Bartleman. He came, became the greatest eyewitness who recorded what happened. He was a skeptic. He was Jewish. And he came in expecting to find some crazy people doing crazy stuff. And a young lady, a young lady went up to him, nine or ten years old, and began to speak to him. And he began to weep, and he broke down. He said, listen, I came here a very, very sharp skeptic. He said, but this young girl just spoke to me in perfect Yiddish. She spoke in my language. I know God is real. I want this God. 
I'm telling you the time is going to come where our sons and our daughters are going to prophesy. They're not going to speak in unknown tongues. They're going to speak to people that let them know that God is real, that this God is real, and they're going to fall on their face and say, what must I do to be saved? Do it again, Lord. You did it for them. Do it for us. God, we're crying out. Do it again. Oh, God, we want your glory, the presence of your glory, the presence of your glory. We, your people, give you reverence. God, we pray that you would rise from your rest and be blessed by our praise as we glory in your embrace. God, it's your embrace that we desire. Let us glory in your embrace. God, let your presence fill this place. God, fill every house, fill every room. Let your glory be so present that when we come in contact with others, they know that this is God. This is God. God, we pray that you would teach us to die daily, kill our flesh, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in us. We just want to do your will. We want you. We want you, God. We're tired of, we're sick and tired of seeking your hand. We want your face. We want your glory. Let your glory fill this place so that human effort can cease and we can, we can lean on your everlasting arm, your power, your might, your glory, your spirit. Come on, worship team. with your people. Will you not revive your people again? That we might rejoice in you. God, we give you reverence. Arise. Rise. Be blessed by our praise. God, we come to glory in your embrace. Somebody needs your embrace, God. Somebody is, is feeling down. Embrace them now. Let them know the reality of your presence. Let it not be some far-off thing that somebody else talks about. God, let the glory of your presence be real. Right now, wherever she are, she is. Touch that young photographer. Let her know that you're real. There are no coincidences know exactly what you're doing and you know exactly when to do it. Bless somebody as they praise you. There are people in their homes praising you right now. God, I pray that you would bless them with your presence. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, release them, release them from everything that binds them. For those of you who don't quite fully understand, 
this Jesus that I'm talking about, who the glory of God and the presence of God seem like some far off thing. He's extending his hands to you. Just as he blessed Obed-Edom, the Gittite, he wants to bless you with his presence, with his presence. If you would just receive him today, your life will never be the same. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you'll learn to endure hardness as a good soldier because you'll realize that he'll never leave you, he'll never seek, forsake you. He'll be with you always. In your sixth trouble, he'll be with you. In your seventh trouble, he'll be with you. He doesn't come to take away your troubles. He comes to overcome your troubles. Because when you're in him, you're more than a conqueror. When you're in him, you can overcome because he's overcome the world. And so I offer you this Jesus who wants to change your life, who wants you to live with him forever. You can't outlive him but you can't live without him. You need him, and he wants you. He wants you, and you need him. This is a match made in heaven. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that every heart that's longing for you, that's been looking for you in all the wrong places, trying to, as Solomon later did, trying to find, recapture your glory in women. He had a thousand women. It wasn't enough. He was richer than any other king. It wasn't enough. He realized that all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And he came to the place that it's all about one thing. It's about fearing God and keeping his commandment. He said, this is the duty of all who live. Father, reveal that duty to those hearts right now so they can avoid the traps of sex and drug and drunkenness and all of these things that we try to use as medicine but that are destructive come today in their life that they might have life and have it more abundantly bless them now with your presence bless them with your salvation bless them with your forgiveness bless them God with true repentance that they might receive your forgiveness and be transformed by the renewing of their minds. And God, today we your people as we worship you. David offered sacrifice. Solomon offered sacrifice. But today you're saying to us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service. And you're calling us out by saying, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God, we want to do that. And so we give ourselves away to you today. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Bless us now and make us a blessing. The Lord go with you and know that he's with you and your children for a thousand generations. Keep the faith.
We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.